The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. Look with me now in Luke uh, chapter 2, and uh, we're going to focus this morning on verses 8 uh, through 21, but I want us to set the context in chapter 2 in verses one through uh, seven. Would you follow along with me? This is God's word, inspired, inerrant, infallible, sufficient, and sovereign. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the end. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God abides forever, and by his grace and mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. There's something that's pretty obvious. In fact, a couple of things that's pretty obvious. In those opening verses that I read, number one is that Luke very clearly is precise Luke is um, focused, and Luke has done his homework. Uh, It is just in those just those few sentences. Look at all of the historical, geographical, political facts that were established and affirmed in just that paragraph, in the way that it was laid out, and what was said, the confidence, the clarity. Now, what does that tell you? Besides the fact Luke is not only a doctor, he's a good historian. Uh, And I think it tells you very clearly what Luke is trying to communicate. Christianity is not a speculative, mystical, philosophical concept that is being perpetrated in humanity. It is a historical reality. The gospel truth, the word of God, is rooted in time, space, history, people, dates, political settings, national settings, cultural settings. I mean, how many things are in that? You want to go check Christianity? Well, was there a Quirinius? Yes. Was Palestine or the promised land in the context of the region called Syria through which Rome Rome had? Was Rome in power then? Yes. Were all these things there? Was this the first registration? Yes. 
All of those things are clearly documented. It's not, it is not, Christianity is not a religion of speculation or mystical thought that tries to find some contact, contact point in reality. It is reality. It is historical, biblical, biblical truth is historically rooted, time, space, people, realities, dates. It's all there. It's all clear. And the second thing is uh, my, when my um, when my parents were uh, when I was born, my parents were still very young, so they were still singing the songs of their day. And one of their songs that I do not know, but I do remember one line, and that one line was, um, "Here we come, right back where I started from." I do not know the song that that belongs to. I should have looked it up, but I don't. All I know was that line that I would hear them sing with great gusto. Here we come right back where we started from. Well, that's where we are. On the first Sunday of Advent, we said God has been silent for 400 years. Now he's speaking and his first four statements of divine revelation come through angels leading to the birth of Christ. We're at the fourth Sunday of Advent, the fourth message that takes place in the context of bringing us to God has finally spoken in his son Jesus. And that glorious outbreak of good news after 400 years of no news and God's self-imposed silence, now God's silence is broken by God's divine revelation through the angels, and we get to the fourth one, and we are right back where we started from. We're in the hills of Judea. Remember? First angel spoke to who? Come on. Zechariah. Where? Who lived where? In the hill country of Judea. Where is Bethlehem? In the hill country of Judea. So now we're at the fourth message, and we are right back where we started, in the hill country of Judea, a very specific place. The place is Bethlehem, a very specific moment, the night of the birth of Christ. And that's where we are in time, space, and history. That's where we have found ourselves. Now we are at the night of that birth. You know, if I could stop here just for a moment, um, as I read this text and think about it and this fourth angelic message that we've arrived, that we're going to hear today that's given to the shepherds, there has been, you know, when you, when you begin to pray through what God leads you to preach as a pastor, um, you know, an itinerant preacher is, has a temptation. Let me get my 10 sermons and my 10 suits and just go travel and keep preaching them. In pastoral ministry, you get the opportunity to keep building from God's word, expositional preaching, passage upon passage upon passage to declare the whole counsel of God in the initiation of evangelism and discipleship in the lives of God's people. And as I come to the the challenges of, of now almost 50 years of ministry and what do you do in an Advent season, because, I mean, we've got some pretty limited material here in terms of text, but how do you come to it? And it just struck me this last year, just laid on my heart, that something I'd never actually thought through on you, but I didn't think through, that actually the first four books are called Good News, 
Why? Because God is now revealing the fulfillment of everything that he had prophesied in the Old Testament. What he had given in the latter days now and the former days is now being fulfilled in the latter days. And God is finally speaking in his son. And how does he bring us to that place? Well, he breaks the no news silence with good news of Christ. And he commissions four angels from the heavens to bring this good news. And so it's the first time I thought of it that way. But there have been, for me, I don't know about you, but there have been unbelievable blessings for me in this series. Things that I kind of wish I, I, I was, I, I kind of wish next Sunday wasn't going to be the last Sunday in this series because like, you know, I, I, there's things that have struck me afresh and anew. Hopefully it's been helpful. For instance, yes, God was silent for 400 years, not the first time, second time. He did the same thing when he had him in Egypt under affliction. Now he's doing it as they have been under the affliction of Assyrians and Babylonians and Medo-Persians and Greeks and now Romans. They've been under them for about 50, Seven fifty-eight years at this point, and uh, and so, uh, but it's not it's, it's not the first times. In other words, God uses it. Can't you think of how you know? Have you ever noticed how um, you when you don't hear something, you start wanting to hear it? In fact, if you'll go, I, I'd love to give you some references. I'll be glad to. Some of the extra biblical writers from that er- era. Uh, Give us the information that the people of Israel, particularly in the area of the Galilee and Jerusalem, were unbelievably uh, fascinated with the anticipation of the coming of the Messiah. In fact, the evidence is, is the number one Old Testament book they were being consumed with at that time was the book of Isaiah. That they read it, that they were searching it, that they were longing to understand it. And that's what was filling them. That was, and isn't it that way with us? You know, when you haven't heard, you start anticipating, wanting to hear. I want to hear. I want to know. And they haven't heard as a covenanted nation with God for 400 years. When will he speak? When the one who spoke with prophets and angels, when will he speak again? And so God has them at that place. That they're ready to hear. And they are about to hear. Maybe not what they want to hear. But what God is going to reveal about the good news of Christ. The Messiah. And I also begin to realize, you know, silence. The silence of God in 400 years does not mean God was silent about those 400 years. I mean, who is here? In Bethlehem? Where, where are they? In Bethlehem. Why are they in Bethlehem? Because an empire decreed a tax registration. So Joseph had to leave Nazareth with his wife who was expecting and go back to Bethlehem, which had no place for them to stay. So they end up in a stable. And so why is all of that happening? Listen, all that's happening, number one, to fulfill prophecy. God has prophesied all of this. I mean, here they are in Bethlehem. Micah said they would. Here they are, a virgin's about to give birth. Jesus was not born of a man and a woman. He was born of a woman. 
the virgin conceived and is giving birth, Isaiah 7:14, And it is of the tribe of Judah and the line of David in fulfillment of the scripture. Mary and Joseph are there. Joseph, the appointed father. Mary, I'm sorry, Joseph, uh, the adopted father. Mary, the appointed mother. All of that is there. That's God fulfilling his word. And there you see it. And another thing I begin to see is that when God does give his word, it is immutable and it is infallible. How many times does the scripture say, all this happened that the scripture might be fulfilled? Here's God moving populations, empires, everything around to fulfill a prophecy that the virgin shall give birth and they'll be there in a place called Bethlehem. Why? Because there's a there's an empire that was prophesied in Daniel that's in place called Rome. And Rome is making these decrees. And now people are getting registered because they used to be registered under a previous empire that had been prophesied. Greece that had replaced a previous empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, and that had been prophesied. Here is God at work. And not only is his word infallible, it can't be broken. He moves everything for the fulfillment of it. But let me also say one more thing. And by the way, let me stop right there because it's just on my heart. His word will be fulfilled. And here's what he says. It is appointed unto God, it is appointed by the Lord to die and then the judgment. And God will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Every one of us are guilty. Every one of us has an appointment. Have you come to the only one that can make you ready on that day? His word on that day will be fulfilled as it was on this day. And he has given you a way of deliverance. And his word is not only infallible, it's immutable. I mean, I just love it. What's the last thing in the canon before he goes silent, radio silence, divine silence for 400 years? I'm going to send one in the spirit of Elijah. I am going to send one the spirit of Elijah who will turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the hearts of children to their father. Next revelation is God from heaven through an angel to Zechariah and to and to Elizabeth. And he says, you're going to have, I know you're barren, but don't worry, I'm going to take care of this one. And uh, you're going to give birth to a child who will fulfill. 400 years, he, the last thing he said was a prophecy. The next thing he says, here's the fulfillment. God is immutable. He didn't change those 400 years. He will always be faithful to himself and his word. So there are so many things that I would, this has opened up for me that I would love to, you know, let me give you one more. God is sending the only one who can save us from our sins by his grace, Jesus, through whom an adopted father and an appointed mother, who, by the way, become wonderful examples to us of what he will do with us. Here's Joseph, a man of God. Here is Joseph, a man of God, and he bears the two biblical virtues of Christian manhood. Strength and courage to engage, to embrace his responsibilities in life. He's going to take care of her and he's righteous. Strength and courage to embrace his responsibilities in life. Sensitive and compassionate. In relationships of life. 
the Christian man, gentle man, who acts like a man to fulfill his responsibilities out of love to Christ and others, and never and never abandons his responsibilities in those relationships, sensitivity and compassion, as he demonstrates to Mary and others. And then Mary, and while we say no to all the theological aberrations of of certain ecclesiastical traditions that create this Mariology, don't lose the virtue that God's grace has put in this woman. There you see the two virtues of women of God. Confidence in her God. Not her circumstances, not even her husband, not even the surrounding neighbors. Her confidence rests in her God. She's like Sarah who was not frightened by any fear as she obeyed the Lord. And then commitment to do the will of God as a woman in her calling. Confidence. Hear it in her words. Behold, O God, I am your hand. I am your maidservant. Be it done to me according to your word. There's so much here for us to look at. And now we've come to this fourth Sunday. And we've got the last time the angels speak before our focus is on what Christ says and the apostolic doctrine that comes after it in this angelic message that's before us in this text of Scripture. We're back in the same region. We're back in the hill country. We're specifically at a place called Bethlehem. And here's what I want you to see. Would you look, look with me in these verses? What happens here? Just walk through it with me. There, there's three intriguing moments that take place in this last little study. And we're going to do this rather rapidly. So follow with me. Go to verse 8 with me. Three intriguing moments for us. And here's the first one. Here's the response, the expected response. Um, to, of the shepherds to the angels. Look at verse 8. And in the same region, we're back here, we're, we're the same region, we're the region surrounding Bethlehem that's in the hill country of Judea. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. In other words, they're doing work. I guarantee you, when they woke up that morning and went to work with the sheep, I'll promise you they had no idea what was going to happen that day. And But that day, while they, they were, at, and now they finished the day, they're keeping watch over their flock by night, what happened? An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, let's stop right there. This is the fourth angel. Now, let, can we do some, uh, let's pretend like we're, uh, we're not the uh, assembled worship uh, congregation, but maybe a small group. And I'll ask you this question. How many angels, what, is this the fourth angel that spoke? And you'd say, yes, this is the fourth angel to speak. And what happened every time an angel spoke up to speak? What was the first thing they had to say to the people that they were speaking? When they, when they spoke to Zechariah, when they spoke to jo- uh, Mary, when he spoke to Joseph, and when now when he speaks to when he speaks to the shepherds, when the angel speaks to the shepherds, what's the first thing they, they have to they have to do? Don't fear. 
Don't fear. Now listen. There were two directions of the fear. To Zechariah and to the shepherds. Don't fear the angel's presence. And the glory that they brought from the throne room of God. The Shekinah glory that was upon them as they came from the throne room of God. Don't fear. Then what happens? There's two other times they appear to Joseph and Mary. And that fear, don't fear the message we're bringing and what we're calling you to do. God is able. Don't fear the messenger. Two of them. Don't fear the message. Two of them. Why? Because God has given us the emotion of fear. But it has to be instructed. Otherwise, fear paralyzes. That's why a lion roars. Freezes you. Fear gets our attention. And it paralyzes unless it is instructed. And the Bible tells us to run after the fear of God. It's the beginning of wisdom. And then the Bible tells us to cast away all the fears of men. The fear of death. The fear of the future. Cast them away. Now, biblical concern is another issue. But the domination of fear is to be addressed. And the way it's addressed is to run to the fear of God. But you can't run to the fear of God until you cast away the fear of man. And what is it that casts away the fear of man? What casts away the fear of man is simply this. Perfect love cast out all fear. How do they assuage the fear of these angels? These angels show Now, listen, every time angels show up doesn't evoke fear. It's only the times that they show up having come from the presence of God with no veil. When they come from the presence of God, bathed in the Shekinah glory of God, we can't stand it. It brings fear. But they don't always show Angels show up sometimes not straight from the presence of God unveiled. That's why the Bible says to us, uh, do you not know that some of us have entertained angels unknowingly? I don't think Abraham knew those were angels that showed up. When he was feeding them, they appeared as men. They appeared veiled. But whenever they come like to Zechariah or like this moment to the shepherd, when they come unveiled, the Shekinah glory of God overcomes us. And what we have to be assured of is the love of God, which casts out our man-made fears. And then we can run to the fear of God, which is awe. It's really found in the text. It's a tough word. It says, did you notice in the ESV, it says they were filled with what kind of fear? It's right there. It's not here. It's there. What kind of fear were they filled with? Great fear. NAS, terrifying fear. 
But I love the King James. And if you come, this is something you miss. If you don't come to hear our children's concerts on Christmas Eve, you don't get to hear this because that little Julia Shirley choir that she teaches them, they always do this text. And I love it when they said, and they were, King James Version, what? Sore afraid. I love it when they say that. They're sore afraid. That's a great word to translate that word. It means painful. (laughs) It means painful. When you got a sore spot, it's sensitive and painful. The presence of God overwhelms them. And they need a message from God. Of the grace of God. Bathed in the love of God. So now, paralyzing fear is cast away. And inspirational fear. All of the Almighty fills us with reverence. And that's what happens when the angels now assuage their fear, instruct their fear, banish the fear of man to fill them with the fear of God. May I do this one little thing? I just... I just read the recent changes in the Webster Dictionary, and I'm so disheartened I can't hardly stand it, uh, what the, how they've redefined words. But here's one that has bothered me my whole life, and that's how we use the word awful. We use the word awful to describe something what? That's awful. Actually, the word means full of awe. I love the Trinity hymnal where we sing how sweet and awful is your church, O oh Lord. Full of a people who stand in the awe of the Almighty. And that's what he's speaking. That's what he's saying. Now, what is it that's going to send them away? The fear of man and fill them with the awe and majesty of God. What's going to take away paralysis? And what's going to fill them with inspiration of majesty? The next words. Now the angels give them an unexpected message. A unique announcement they're about to give them. Look at your text and see what it says right there. Here we are. Look at it. It says what? It says, um, go with me to that next verse. And the angel said to them, fear not. Why? I'm going to instruct you. For behold, I bring you good news. Here I'm going to give you the news of God's glory bathed in God's grace and the display of God's love in Jesus. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, all the people, not just not just his covenanted nation, Israel. Now it's going to all the uncovenanted nation. His covenant people of grace are going to come from every tribe and nation, old, young, rich, poor, male, female. Uh, he's going to bring them all that the father has given to him from every tribe and nation. And here's good news. It is designed to go to all. All the people, and by the way, can I say it here? It's designed to go to all the people through all the people that he is saving. We're called to take it to all, even as it came to us. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And he gives them a birth announcement. Now, I know it's a birth announcement. I've gotten birth. We've sent birth announcements. Uh, We've got the who? Uh, Jesus. Uh, We've got got the date today. You've got the uh, birth announcement's got the date, birth announcement's got the place in the city of David. In fact, you can find him in a manger uh, within a stable. And uh, so it's a uh, it's a it's an invitation that has the date. It's got the name. It's got the place. It also has something else, a prophetic word. This is the savior. This is the one who will save his people from all their sins. But this announcement is unique because of who is the object of the announcement. Here's our announcements. On March the 3rd, 19 or 2000 and whatever, in this place, a child was born to Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Isn't that what we say? It doesn't say a child was born to Mary and Joseph. It says a child, and more than one commentator has pointed this out. This is a unique, that means holy, announcement. It will never be repeated. This is the announcement of a Savior. Born of a virgin from the descendants of David and the tribe of Judah in the prophesied town of Bethlehem and it is a child born to you to all the people all of his people this one has come to save You will call his name Yeshua, Jehovah saves, for he will save his people from their sins. And then this unique, this anticipated response of fear that is instructed by this unique birth announcement comes with a compelling invitation. Here it is. Look at it. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Then when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, The invitation compelled them. Let us go over to Bethlehem. We know where to go. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord, divine revelation, God's silence is broken, has been made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby. Where? Lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been said them concerning this child. What did they do? They started telling others. Who he is. We call it evangelism. 
And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. Just like we do in the New Covenant sign, baptism, the name is announced. And the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. From the very first of these angelic messages, we knew what his name was and what he would do. And now he is here and it is announced by an angel. But this angel doesn't speak. You know, the two of... Uh, up until now, it's always been a solitary angel. And we know that Zechariah's angel was Gabriel. We know that Joseph's angel was Gabriel. But uh, I mean, Mary's, um, I'm sorry, Mary's angel was Gabriel. And then the third message came to Joseph. And we know as an angel, we just don't know who it was. We're not given the name. And now we got an angel that speaks to the shepherds. We don't know his name. Could be Gabriel, but we don't know. And that he is now joined with a host of angels and this host of angels begins to proclaim the good news glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased that is those who become the recipients of his saving grace that they now have the blessings and no longer the curse of sin but the blessings of grace uh, can I stop right here just for a minute because I know people always say you know y'all just sing a song hark the herald angels sing and um, it doesn't say that they sang. The, the, now, go back and look. It says they were joined by what? A host. More than you could count. That's what that word. Beyond our counting at that moment. The shepherds just couldn't count. A host of angels praising God and what? Okay. For all of the curmudgeons that like to take away Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Because it says sing. My retort to them, this may not be sufficient for you, but my retort to them is simply this. I don't think they were just saying, I think they were saying, and I think they were singing. Why? Because the hymn book, the, the, we have one infallible hymn book in existence. What is that? The Psalms. And what were they written for? Praise and singing. So if they're praising God, it would not be unreasonable to think that they're singing. And they not only had a worship service to sing the word, they had a time for the confession of truth. They were saying the word as well. I think it's a both and, singing and saying, just like we've done today in the assembled saints of God's people. And so they now are joined by that course of angels. And then, and then in that context, the angels invite them to go to this Jesus. And he said, when you see him, you're going to find something. He is, there wasn't a place for the end, so, but there was a place in the stable. And the fact that it was a stable is seen why? Because you'll find him makeshift cradle is called a manger. That's a cattle trough. And I take people to Israel. I take them to caves, stable caves from the first century that are still in Bethlehem. And I show them the troughs of the first century. And in Bethlehem, you wouldn't have wasted money on rotting wood. You got stone right there. And the troughs are troughs of stone. So here is a stone trough that he lies in. And you'll find him wrapped in the, that was the, that was the 
the act of the day. Your children are born, you know, the arms are crumpled up and their legs are crumpled up and they're bent over. And mama started straightening right from the moment of birth with the swaddling cloths that were increasingly tightened to help the limbs get straight and the legs get straight and the arms get straight and the back get straight. And I'm sure they would do what I watched my mother do with my three sisters, start rubbing the head to get it the round that they want. And I'm sure Mary was doing that. And that'll be your sign. And they found it just as the angels said as they came to that place because a sovereign God had made sure they had gone to a place where there was no place for them. So they would be laid in this place and where he laid wrapped in swaddling cloths in that manger signified this wasn't just making do. This was the Almighty. And it is making clear what he is doing. That's what's happening. Well, brothers and sisters, I've got the takeaway for you. Just this as simple as I could this today. There are two. Now, please let me speak with all of the love I can as pastorally as I can. There are two inevitable marks of true saving grace. In other words, those who are truly saved. Worship and witness. What fills their heart will come out of their mouth first in praise to God and secondly in proclamation to others, to believers to encourage them and to the lost to evangelism, to evangelize them. And that's one of the reasons I know we're in trouble today is because the church no longer preaches the gospel of saving grace and disciples God's people to the priorities of worship and witness. And today is a perfect example. Now, please listen to me. I understand there is in the assembled worship the reality of providential hindrance when one is sick or one has a, or one is shut in. And I'm grateful that we can extend the facsimile of worship through technology. And I know that there are moments of works of necessity when the ox is in the ditch. And I know that there are ministries of mercy that occur that need to be embraced in the moments of gathered worship. I understand that. But what I see today in the evangelical church With the, trivial, with the trivial approach to the Lord's Day and worship, if it works in my schedule, betrays what we've seen in every single case of the Advent. When God's saving grace lay holds of people, wise men worship and bow. The Gentile elite bow and worship And bring their gifts gladly. And the lowly shepherds weren't even allowed to testify in court. But God's people come from the down and out and the up and in. To bring them in. 
And the shepherds go away what? Praising God. They imitate the angels. They praise God and they proclaim the good news. Notice what it said. They went telling. In fact, I am, I, I'm, I, I just want to make this as clear as I can because it's going to be our whole focus next year, bringing them to him. Look at, look at what it says back in that text and verse 17. When they saw it, they made known the saying. They evangelized that had been told them concerning this child and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Who have we told about the one who has saved us from their sin and the one without whom they face an eternal condemnation? And so here he is. The two marks are seen in the lowly shepherds. Worship and praise. Folks, I'm not a killjoy. I love the beauty of the season. I love, uh, I love work. I love sports. I love, I love all those things. But I believe with all my heart the inevitable evidence of true saving grace will be seen with people who will not let anything get between them unless providential hindrance will not let anything get between them and the gathered worship of God's people, which they will be doing for all eternity. And they will find a way. I remember my first years. I was a truck driver. And I just I remember going into the locker room of the truck drivers at six o'clock in the morning. I I messed up evangelism. I am the li- if you want, just come meet with me. I'll give you all the ways not to evangelize. But I knew one thing. I'd been saved and I had to tell people. Because they can't come to him until we bring him to them. And that's what these shepherds did. They brought him to them. Now, can I give you some good news? The God whom you worship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, actually made you, saved you, and gave you your breath today for that purpose. There is nothing more important. So you are not doing trivial stuff when you assemble with God's people. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. When you assemble, you exalt him, you encourage one another, and you evangelize the seekers. Our worship is angelic. It communicates good news to the encouragement of believers and to the call of the lost. So this is glorious what we do. Secondly, when you evangelize, your Savior is ready to receive any and all who come to Him. You tell Him, ask, and you'll receive. Seek, you'll find. Knock, He'll open the door. You can tell them that, and that's what's being told these, these, that's what's being told to these, um, Shepherds. See, I believe that's what's underneath this sign. Here's the sign. You will what? You'll find him. It's not going to be hard. In fact, God has moved heaven and earth to put him in a place he is fully accessible. 
Where would you and I have had Jesus born? We would have had him born somewhere where you had to go through five filters, three screens, and two shakedowns, pat-downs, and everything else. Not Jesus. You'll find him in a stone trough. It's a manger. You'll find him wrapped in swaddling clothes. He's a baby. But he's the Lord, the Savior of sinners. And you don't have to make an appointment. He made the appointment to save you. And he's come so that you can get to him. And he will bring you to him. Here, let me bring you to him. You won't have to stand in line. You won't have to get an appointment. You won't have to be examined. You won't have to go through a scanning machine. You can just come to him. He's in a stable. So you can come. You don't even have to knock on a door. Just walk in. And there he is for you, your Savior, your Lord. And by the way, when you see him, he's already telling you how you're going to be saved. Watch him. Look at him. He's in a stone trough. In 33 years, he'll be put in another stone trough after he has gone to the cross to save you from your sins. Look at him. He'll be wrapped in swaddling cloths, linen cloths. When he's laid in that stone trough, he'll be wrapped with linen cloths again. Look at him. On the eighth day, circumcision healed, shed the first drops of blood that points to the cross where he will become your circumcision to cut away your sin and your heart and your record. With his blood, the incarnation is pointing to his crucifixion and his atoning death. That's why you can come to him. He's come for you. This Noel is unique, but it is for all who come. Let's pray. May I ask you to take a few moments in personal prayer. Just believers, please let this saturate your heart. Please let it. Spirit of the living God, speak to your people that they may rejoice as the shepherds in worship and witness. But right now, just fill them in their heart with the joy of awe and reverence. They're yours. You sought them. You bought them. You've sealed them, and you'll send them. And for those here who are seeking at this time of year, the neon lights don't save. But the Word of God brings you to the God of the Word. Come. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader. 
Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.